For those who don't know who I am, my name is Tony Mazurka, and uh, I am not the pastor here. So for those who might be visiting going, oh man, that's the pastor, don't worry, I am not the pastor. Pastor Charlie's on vacation, and uh, we're praying he's just having a great time on the East Coast with family and friends. Um, I'm Trick Camp Director, so bear with me as my, my methodology here might be a little bit eccentric, uh, a little bit about myself. I have nine kids whatever that is. Um, when my wife and I got married, we thought three kids. God had other plans. Um, the camp I direct is called Camp Jim, which stands for Jesus is Mine, and I've been blessed to be there 15 years now on what I thought would be a four-year journey at the most. And uh, been 20 years in Christian camping, got kind of a, a, a mutt-type background. I was raised Missouri Senate. Anybody familiar with Missouri Senate Lutheran? Come on, there's got to be more than a few of us out there. And we were very faithful. Christmas, Easter's, weddings, and funerals. My wife informed me, her family is very involved in church. They said, you were a C&E Christian. It stands for Christmas and Easter. I never knew that was, that's what that meant. So yes, I, I admit, my name's Tony. I'm a C&E Christian. Up until about third grade when my parents got frustrated at the public school system and sent me to a Christian school which was non-denominational by title, but really was an Assemblies of God. And so I spent seven years immersed in what you call more of a spirit-filled type church atmosphere. Completed that, went back to public school, ended up in the military, decided to do it on my own. By the way, that doesn't work very well. Anybody tried that? It doesn't. So made some bad choices and wasted, I would say, two and a half years of my life that I could have done so much. God could have done so much. And it's, it's lost as far as I look back on that and go, what a waste. Um, during that time, there was a parachurch ministry called Missions to Military out of a Baptist church in Norfolk, Virginia, and they would go around and invite sailors to, to come to dinner and do some discipleship uh, Bible study time. And, you know, as a, I probably was 19, maybe 20, as a young man at that age, if you say food, we're there. And so I ended up attending that Actually, wasn't even the person invited, but that's a whole other story. You can ask sometime. Ended up attending that and ended up spending about two years in their discipleship program, and that's where God got a hold of me and said, hey, I want you to work for me full-time. So I ended up going to Bible college at Oak Hills Christian College, got a degree in biblical studies, applied psychology, and camp ministry leadership training and development, something like that, big long title. Really means I'm a mutt once again. And that brought us to working at a couple different camps, and brings me here today. So all that to say, God can use anybody. I love that song we sang, I think it was the second to the last one, and I don't even know the name of the song. I'm not really good at music genres and stuff. But it says, to love you from the inside out. To love you from the inside out. It's my heart's desire. And what I'm going to be talking about today will kind of play into that I want to talk about the heart of worship and loving God from the inside out. But before we start that, let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time we have to, to kind of look at the topic of worship and heart attitude and loving you. Father God, I come before you knowing that I don't have the answers. Lord, I know I'm fallen and I struggle. Lord, I just ask that you would speak through me, that this would be a time of your word doing the teaching, your Holy Spirit doing the work. 
And I just counted a privilege to be the one that just gets to be that voice box for now. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon this congregation as we look forward to what you can do when we have a heart after you, Lord. We ask you for your blessing upon this time in your precious name. And they all said, God has been hammering this topic on me. I have a, I have a good friend who's got ALS, and if you're familiar with ALS, it's fatal. And um, unless the good Lord decides to heal him, someday he'll be with him. But Lanny's been suffering with ALS for oh, over two years now. And typically, you wouldn't be able to talk or anything. He can't move, but he's been given the privilege of still being able to talk. And so I go visit him when I get a chance. And last time I visit him, he said, Tony, I feel the Lord wants me to tell you two things. Do what I say and listen. Do what I say and listen. Obey me and listen. I said, slow down. You get ahead of yourself. And that's true. The best advice I ever got when I came to Camp Jim about 15 years ago was a, I met with an executive director, been doing it for 30 plus years. And he looked at me and says, Tony, shut up and listen. He said that like three times. I was about ready to reach over and help him. Sinful nature still in us. But he kept saying, shut up and listen. And when Lanny said, Tony, God wants you to slow down and listen and obey me. At first I was like, what? And then I was trying to think of what to be preaching on and I'm going, boy, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to listen to him and do what he says. He didn't expect us to have superpowers. I think of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive those. All that isn't about what we're going to do. It's about what he's going to do. Just submit and listen to him. It's about God. So the heart of worship. Let's just define what worship really means. Merriman-Webster Dictionary calls worship this. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for God. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for God. Huh. Goes on to say, to show reverence and adoration for or to honor with religious rites. And its third example is extravagant respect or devotion to something. Wow. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 11, the Israelites had a habit of offering sacrifices to God while at the same time persisting in a wicked lifestyle. I think we still struggle with that. I struggle with that today. All morning I've been praying, God, if there's still something in my life that I need to deal with before I come up here, you got to let me know. i got to deal with it. And he brought several things to my mind that I spent time just saying, God, I'm sorry. It'd be very easy to get up here and want to show off, which that's not really easy for me because I'm not a real good preacher. But... <laughs> But to get up here and want to sound important or like I've got it all together or something like that, that's not what I'm called to do. I need to have heart posture after God. To what purpose is the multitude of, does the Lord, God said back, what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the, bull, the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. God had given them the directions on how to sacrifice and worship him, hadn't he? So they were following him, weren't they? 
But those sacrifices in and of themselves were worthless to God without that proper heart attitude, that proper heart posture. God had devoted Israel to be as a people to himself, but the hearts of the Israelites were not devoted to God. They loved their sin, their worship, and their more ritualistic practices instead of worshiping God from the heart. In Mark 12, 29 to 34, a scribe asked Jesus this, what is the most important commandment? And I feel that Jesus answered this pretty, pretty succinctly. He said that Jesus described God's definition of worship when he said this, the foremost commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, that there is no one else besides him, and to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor's as himself is much more than all the burnt offerings or sacrifices." When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. When we worship from our heart, when we worship from a position of approaching our creation as awesome, beyond comprehension, isn't that neat? I I know when I'm walking right with God, I am entertained and in awe of the simplest things. I've had mornings where I get up and I drive into camp and I hear some birds tweeting, and I just stand there going, oh, that's amazing. Where are they? People probably wonder, oh, he's lost it now. (laughs) The leader's fallen, so shall the camp go. I don't know. What are we going to do? He's looking for birds tweeting somewhere. But I just keep thinking in my mind, wow, God, how how do you keep track of all this? you got birds tweeting. Just, uh, was it yesterday, I think we, we looked on the roof of our house, my little boy's pointing up and saying, what's that? And I look up, and there's a dove, little banded dove, just sitting there. And I had a conversation with that dove. And it's like, wow, Lord, that is neat, such a simple creation. Wow. Today, I want to focus more on what it means to love God or to worship God, starting with our minds. The word for mind is interpreted as the faculty of thought and moral understanding. How many of you, well, if you're a parent, raise your hand. All right, let me put those down. So most of the crowd, so most of you understand what I'm talking about. When that little baby boy or girl is born and you're holding them in your arms in the hospital, can you think of anything else? Your mind is completely engrossed in that child. You think about how you're going to care for them, how you're going to meet their needs, how much you love that creation. First thing you hear when that little baby squawks in the morning is, oh, I got to go help the baby. First thing you think if you wake up in the morning is, oh, I want to take and hold the baby. I just got plenty of practice at this. Now I'm not quite sure if it's always the first thing I think of. I might be thinking, boy, why are they getting up so early? But, <sighs> but God wants to be the first thing that comes to our minds. We get up in the morning, he wants us to be the very first thing. He wants to be the very first thing we're talking about. He wants us to wake up and go, 
Oh, God, it is so good to know that you're still there. Oh, God, it's so good to know that you love me. It's so neat that you died for me on that cross. It is amazing. I can't even comprehend. I couldn't do that. But over the years, our minds get filled with knowledge, and knowledge influences our beliefs and opinions, and those beliefs and opinions shape our character and our attitudes. They determine our choices and our actions. I like to think of it this way. What you put in here affects what you feel here, which affects what you do here. But your brain is this big processor that's processing information, which affects your emotions, which affects your actual actions. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world, and our brains get full of junk. At the end of Romans chapter 11, it tells us how incredible our God is. In verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And it goes on into Romans 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God calls us to renew our minds because he knew, he already knew when he wrote the Bible that we were going to get junk in our heads. He knew that our parents were going to make mistakes. He knew we were going to struggle with stuff. He knew that. And he knew that was going to be a problem. So he said, hey, we need to renew your mind. You know, up until recent years, scientists thought that if you damaged the brain, you couldn't do anything about it. Oh, well, too bad. Put him in a crazy farm. Couldn't fix it. Recent science has determined that there's a thing called plasticity, which actually means you can rewire your brain. Huh, look at that. God had that figured out thousands of years ago. It took science all this time to catch up. So now they're going, oh, we can rewire our brain. Well, cool. So how do we do that? Well, God says that he wants to rewire our brain. It's not just up to us. We spend so much time worrying about, oh, I got to figure this out. If, it, if I can't figure this out, I'm never going to make it. It's all about me. No, he says, I want to walk with you in that. And he says, I want to rewire your brain. So how is he going to do that? Well, first of all, he's going to give us his word. James 1.21 says, he commands us in humility to receive the word implanted. To receive the word implanted. We need to spend time in God's word. And he gives us the Holy Spirit, who gives us the mind of Christ, which is the understanding of his words, his word. It comes from 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 15. We can't do it on our own. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. He knew that. God wants to rewire or transform our minds to think like Christ. And why is it important to have a mind like Christ? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, so that you may prove what the will of God is that is good and acceptable and perfect. That's why he wants to do it to prove what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is where out of our minds flows out to influence what our hearts and hands will do. God wants us to understand his will so that faith in faith we can grow our hearts and we can understand how to follow him. God's plans are always bigger than us. God told Abraham that he's going to bless them and that Abraham was going to be a blessing to others. 
God wants to do the same thing through his, his church. He wants us to be a blessing to others. Why does he want to do that? Well, one of the reasons is we are a fragrance of Christ in the world. In the Old Testament, the priests offered sacrifices at the doorway of the tent of meeting, both morning and evening, which burned continually as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Thank you. It was consecrated by the glory of the Lord, as with the tent of meeting and the altar of the priest. That comes from Exodus 29. Under the New Testament, believers become a priesthood under the Lord. We found that in 1 Peter 2.9. Upon receiving forgiveness of our sin through Christ's sacrifice, we are consecrated by Him. 2 Corinthians 2.14 goes on to tell us that God's manifest, God is manifest through us. God manifests through us a sweet aroma of knowledge of Him in every place. We become the fragrance of Christ. Second reason is for the destruction of strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive under control to obey Christ. The battle against sin starts in the mind. So we need to be equipped. We need to be spending time in His Word. We need to be leaning on the Holy Spirit and His leading. Otherwise, we're going to lose. So how are we going to worship God and how are we going to stand firm in our minds? Well, first of all, you've got to think about what we're thinking about. How many of you heard the story about the two wolves that are fighting or two dogs that are fighting? They're evenly matched, and it's a pretty heated fight to the death. And they ask the question, which one's going to win? And the wise man answers, the one you feed. Because they're both going to wear down, but the one that's being fed will outlast and will win the battle. So we need to think about what we're thinking about. We need to think about what we're putting in our minds. So I spent some time this year thinking about what I think about. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my energy? And I realized that one of the things that really got me stoked, yes, I was born in the 70s, really got me stoked was politics. Oh, I love politics. I'd get, if I had a lunch break, I'd turn on Fox News because I want to see what ridiculous thing Trump said or something I could use against my Democrat friends or whatever it might be. I loved politics. And if you brought up politics, I could talk all day long on politics. And I started thinking, Lord, boy, that takes up a lot of space in my little brain, all this political information. Now, there's nothing wrong with politics. Well, that depends. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with keeping up with politics. But when it's eating up that much storage space in our brains, I realized I had to quit. So I quit watching news. I just quit. Now, that doesn't mean I might not catch something here and there, but really, I don't really know a lot what's going on politically right now. I know who president is, and I know we're still a sovereign nation, but that's about it. So we need to think about what we're thinking about. We need to be thinking on God's truth. We need to meditate on his scripture. It tells us the truth about God, about us, and about others. In Philippians 4, the apostle Paul gives us a model through which we can measure the worthiness of what we're thinking about. And it says this, Whatever is true, 
honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think on these things. The part that says think on these things means to impute. Impute means to represent something. If something is imputed, it is caused or possessed by someone. Jesus wants to impute his attributes on, to us. He wants us to represent him. But the only way we can represent him, we need to understand his word and we need to know about him. We need to become Christ's image bearers. We need to be memorizing scripture. We need to be obedient to scripture. And we need to be watching what we're putting in our brains. Because unless you're a supercomputer, you just can't keep track of that much. So what are we feeding our minds? Well, how many of you have hobbies? A few of you. Sports, music, you read books, watch TV shows, maybe you look at photography of particular genres, social media, internet surfing. Now, I'm a, I'm a camp director, so I work with youth predominantly. And boy, do they have a lot of stuff to deal with. Every kid I know, pretty much, carries this little mini computer on their hip or their back pocket or wherever it's trendy to carry it nowadays. And they're constantly getting a flow of information. Constantly. I mean, that's just, it's nonstop. And at camp, we, we do something called unplugged. I don't see the point of having all this outside information just constantly coming in when really we want to feed them from God's Word and build relationships of camp. So we make them unplug. And I've had kids actually shake as they're giving over their cell phone. I mean, it's like they're about ready to have a heart attack, and I'm going, how old are you? Well, I'm 13. And you're that addicted to a cell phone? But it's that constant feed of information. I think about marketing. And some of the biggest marketing business that's done nowadays is done on this thing called sports. Well, that's strategic. Where am I? Because most of the population likes sports. So if I want to influence a population, where am I going to put my money? I'm going to put my money into what people are watching. And so if you turn on, you know, modern day football or baseball or basketball, whatever it is, and you look at the kind of advertising, how much of that is glorifying to God? Now, is football bad? No. But we have to be careful. What are we feeding our minds and how much are we balancing that with the Word of God? So are they true? Are they honorable? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they of good repute? Those are examples of things worthy of praise. If not, why are we thinking on those things? We wonder why we have a society filled with anxiety and fear, when we look at all that stuff, they have to do all that information, and they forget that God said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm here for you. Lean on me. Don't lean on your own understanding. All that we kind of forget because we're constantly dealing with all this other stuff. God wants us to trust in him to see, oversee the details of our lives. We can do this through faith and hope. In Him, as we believers, we know our future is secure. 
God already told us how it's going to turn out. What's the thing can happen? You end up in heaven? Oh, bummer. You think about, if you just think back through life where God's gotten you to some hard points. I know as a young sailor, I've been through three hurricanes, a tropical storm. I've been anchored to a pier as a hurricane's coming. They sent all the guys of wives and families, you know, all the valuable people, away and told us, few single guys, you guys got to try to keep the ship afloat. And I'm going, that's a hurricane. I'm from Minnesota. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> and I didn't swim very well. And I remember asking some older sailors, what in the world can we do? I mean, the hurricane's going to come. What's going to happen? We're tied to a pier. The boat's broke. It ain't going to go anywhere. We're only 400 feet long. And he said, well, actually, the hurricane really probably won't get us. It's the swelling of the water that eventually will lift the ship upside down, dump us underneath, and then we'll float inside. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, so either there's really going to be two things that are going to happen here. Either I'm going to live or I'm not. So I went to God and I said, okay, God, I guess if I'm coming home, I hope you got room because I don't have a clue what to do and I'm still here. But really, what's the worst thing that could happen? I could end up in glory. God just asks us to put our faith in him, put our trust in him and obey him and get the junk out of our heads. We need to think about what we're thinking about and meditate on the things of God. We need to be memorizing His Word, obeying His holy scriptures. And remember this, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbors as yourself. It's that simple, friends. And I wrestle this every day. Every day. I'm going to wrap it up with this. This past spring, my daughter, Angel, for those of you who know, I, have, I do have one more kid that's not here right now, a kid, 20-year-old, who went on to North Central Bible College. But before that, she um, was going to the community college here at CLC, Central Lakes College, and she was being inducted into what they call the Phi Thea Kappel, I read English, that's about it, Phi Theta Kappa, which was an international honor society for two-year Bible colleges. And we thought, well, this is really neat because dad, yeah, he graduated. We'll just leave it at that. But I wasn't in a Phi Theta Kappa or anything like that. And at the end of the, the, end of the ceremony, the, the, the president came up and made a short And she said, and she concluded with this. And the last line really caught my wife and I, my attention. And, and she said this, a well-reasoned life is a prelude to honor and service. A well-reasoned life, a well-reasoned mind is a prelude to honor and service. Isn't that what we're talking about? That we want, that when we love our God with all of our minds and our thoughts are governed and reasoned by His truth, by His truth, and we become the fragrance, the image bearers of Christ in the world, living lives that honor and serving Him, isn't that a true act of worship? I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And um, looking forward to seeing what God's going to do this year at Point Way. 
I know he's got great things here. And just so you guys know, it's not up to us. He's in control, but it is up to us to follow him and trust him. But he's going to work through us, and we may be afraid. I'm afraid of a lot of things. One of them would be up front public speaking. But it's not about me. I don't have to worry about it being about me. I know that he's in control, and if I just put my trust in him, he's going to take care of the flub-ups. And when I goof up and I need to come back and say, hey, I'm sorry, I can do that. I'm going to close in a word of prayer and worship team. Father God, I just thank you for this time we've had just to reflect a little bit on what it means to have a heart after you, to be a, a fragrant aroma of Christ in this world. Lord, you knew we were going to have troubles. You knew we were going to need to rewire and transform our mind. You gave us your word for that. You sent your Holy Spirit for that. Lord, let this be a place where people are able to encourage each other, be able to speak truth out of your word, where we'll be able to be vulnerable and open up each other, knowing that none of us here are perfect, but you are perfect, and you gave us that perfect example. Lord, just bless us this day as we go out, as we want to be image bearers of Jesus Christ in our community, Lord. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.